Well, five months ago to the day, college sports shut down. And in the Pac-12, five months later, here we are again. So we're going to talk about on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Wednesday, August 12th, 2020. Glad you're with us. I hope you're having a good one. Hope your week has been good so far. Hope your day has been good uh, so far. Not going to lie, it's been pretty tough around these parts and uh, pretty obvious why. We'll, of course, dive into that throughout the course of this episode. Uh, No guests, no three things, uh, just me and you, but with some sound bites from some pertinent folks in Pac-12 news, including Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson, and University of Oregon President Michael Schill. You'll hear from each of those three gentlemen as we we sort through the week's news and as we try to figure out and make sense of it all and see where things go from here. Glad you're with us on the TreeCast. We've been doing this since 2015. We've been doing this on the Believe Podcast Network since early March, which, as it turned out, was a pretty pretty interesting time to start doing these on the Believe Podcast Network. But uh, glad you're here with us. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Last time it's spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. Always encourage interaction with the show. Best way to do that is also via Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. Well, I texted a Pac-12 coach on Tuesday afternoon, and I just said simply, dang it. And a few moments later, that coach texted back just one simple word, sucks. And that coach is right. That coach with a succinct summary of where things stand right now. And it's amazing because, what, July 31st? A little bit of hope. You know, we were all gathered on the on the Pac-12's uh, teleconference with the media, with Larry Scott, with Stanford head football coach David Shaw, Arizona State uh, Athletic Director Ray Anderson, and um, a, a doctor from uh, Oregon State who helps head up the Pac-12's uh, medical initiatives. A lot of excitement as that was the day that the conference announced its conference-only schedule for football. Didn't have one for the Olympic sports, but it, uh, it announced its, its conference-only slate for football, which was supposed to begin on September the 26th. Yet even then, even then, when asked for his confidence level on whether this slate was going to be played on July 31st, Larry Scott had this answer. I don't know. I think we are all trying to take a step at a time. Uh, We are cautiously optimistic sitting here today. But as Dr. Ackerman mentioned, and we've tried to reinforce, there are elements outside our control. He was right, by the way. And and that really was the only correct answer at that time. Well, uh, 11 days later, fast forward to Tuesday of this week when Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott was making this announcement. We're here today to announce the Pac-12 CEO group has decided to postpone all sport competition through the end of the 2020 calendar year. This decision was made after consultation with athletics directors, our coaches, football working groups, and with the Pac-12 COVID-19 Medical Advisory Committee, who expressed concern with moving forward with contact practice. After reviewing all the data and considering the alternatives, and having already delayed the start 
of our season and compressed our season. The CEO group was unanimous that this result, that this resultant's decision uh, was necessary. So there it is, football and fall sports, including men's and women's soccer, women's volleyball and cross country postponed. Hopeful to resume competition no earlier than January 1st. That is what the conference is, is striving for at this point. Too soon to tell the effects on winter sports, i.e. men's and women's basketball, but those sports, along with the other winter sports, won't compete until January 1 at the earliest. So obviously that means that uh, the non-conference games that uh, – that uh, men's and women's basketball had on its table, those are now gone by the wayside. I know men's basketball is supposed to go to Maui for the uh, Maui Invitational. I love Maui. <laughs> don't, don't, I, was, I was thinking of trying to figure out a way to go. I'm not going to lie. But uh, that, is, that is off the plate uh, for men's ba basketball. And uh, everything is off the plate, competition-wise, up and down the Pac-12, until January 1st at the very earliest. Big Ten decided to cancel its fall sports slate on Monday. Big 12, SEC, ACC, they're pressing on. Big 12 announced their conference-only schedule on Wednesday morning. I wish them well. Now, the Pac-12 had already delayed things as things were supposed to begin. Week one of the college football season was supposed to be September the 5th. And then about six weeks ago, uh, the Pac-12 announced, or checked out about a month ago, Pac-12 announced that it was going to go to a conference-only slate, which will push everything back, reportedly. We didn't get that exact date until July 31st. So the Pac-12 had already pushed things back a couple of weeks. Why not delay more as we start to get into some of the, some of the questions surrounding um, the answer that we got on Tuesday? But why not delay things even more? Even push things into October and perhaps even shorten things from the 10-game conference-only slate that the Pac-12 had put out and announced on July 31st. Larry Scott's answer to that. We have uh, eight-game scenarios starting mid-October and, and, and late October. Um, and so th those were available uh, to us. Uh, but you know, as we uh, looked at uh, where our, our counties are, where the permissions are, and projections and trends, frankly. We came to the conclusion reluctantly that uh, there's no indication that things are likely to change in terms of the criteria that influence this in the next few weeks. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott. And I, I got a tweet uh, on Tuesday saying that, look, just because the virus is, on a, is still on a surge now and still surging in some key spots, just because that's the case now, that that doesn't mean that it won't be the case in September and that this will be the virus's only wave, at least in California. That was a tweet that, that I got. Well, trending badly now means you can't start in September because the coaches adamant that, look, you need at least six weeks. And this wasn't just in football. This was, this was, uh, for, this was among the coaches among the other sports as well. They were adamant by saying, look, we need at least six weeks of training before we can get these kids healthy and ready to go and, and get them into the season as healthy and as fit as they can possibly be. So trending badly now means you cannot start in September. And Monday, this upcoming Monday, was supposed to be the day 
where the Pac-12 was going to allow uh, a new phase of practice and allow teams to, to, to start to really ramp things up in preparation for the fall sports slate that we were hoping was going to be, but ultimately wasn't. But trending bad now means you cannot start in September. That's what that means. Plus, and, and, and I agree with Larry Scott on this, the trends for improvement just aren't there. They're just not there. There's not, there, there are few things out there to indicate that things are getting better for a lot of reasons. More on that later. But clearly a, a monumental decision with far-reaching impacts for a lot of people, including yours truly. I lost out on a lot of money on Tuesday. And with all the money at stake for the conferences, the Pac-12 explored all sorts of options to try to keep this thing afloat. Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson was another member of Tuesday's media teleconference with the Pac-12. And Ray Anderson took us through that process. We tried to uh, make adjustments, uh, to uh, change schedules, uh, 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 make adjustments with workouts. We want to play in the worst way, but not at the risk of the health and safety. So with the inconsistencies uh, uh, in the, the virus and then with this additional information coming out that says you just don't have enough to make decisions, particularly going into contact sports with these young men and women to put them at risk. Yeah, this was not a decision that they arrived at on a whim, right? This, this wasn't a situation where, where everyone just got on Zoom and looked at each other and said, oh, cancel it all. No, no, <laughs> no, there, there, was, there was a lot of work that went into trying to maintain a season between the athletic directors and the various working groups, uh, opera, uh, directors of operation amongst the various sports and the various schools, uh, the coaches, the, the student athletes themselves, there was a lot of work that went into this. And with all the money at stake, this wasn't something that they just they just operated on and just and just went and just went. Nope, just just throw it in the bag right now. Mm -mm, no, trust me, they wanted to play. They wanted to play. The big question is why? Why were we talking about a fall conference slate on July 31st and having the plug pulled on everything just 11 days later? What changed? Well, the Pac-12 released the recommendation that it received from its medical board. It's a 12-page document. It's, it's very detailed, and it's available online. So they're not trying to hide anything here, at least not, not, with, uh, not with them making this recommendation public. The three main conclusions from this assessment, I will read verbatim. Here we go. Number one, community prevalence remains very high in much of the Pac-12 footprint and traveling to many places is likely unsafe, particularly on commercial aircraft. Soccer team goes commercial. Volleyball teams go commercial. Number two, that, that part of it was not verbatim, by the way. Number two, we are concerned about health outcomes related to the virus. Among these, there is new and evolving information regarding potential serious cardiac side effects in elite athletes. We do not have enough information to understand the short and long-term outcomes regarding these health issues. 
That, of course, a reference to the myocarditis study that was found in several uh, Big Ten players. Number three, testing capacity needs to increase to allow for more frequent testing, perform closer to game time, and with more rapid turnaround time to prevent spread of infection and enhance the safety of all student-athletes, coaches, and staff involved, particularly in situations where physical distancing and mask wearing cannot be maintained. This will require access to significant capacity of point-of-care testing and rapid turnaround time, which is currently very limited. So those were the three main assessments, the three main conclusions that the Pac-12's medical board came to. And then in bold, right after all of that, it says this, at this time, we do not recommend initiating contact or competition activities. End of quote from the Pac-12 medical board's assessment as to why they could not recommend moving forward with a fall sports season at this time. So that's what changed. Although you could argue that really nothing changed, that really not a whole lot got better in the five months since, since this all started. In fact, in some ways, things are worse. But that's what changed. That is largely what changed, and that's largely what led us to this point. Now, did administrators get spooked by the Pac-12 unity movement that popped up a couple days after the following slate was announced? I'd like to think not, because as we talked about on last week's TreeCast, the Pac-12 and the student-athletes behind the unity movement were pretty close, closer than you might think on, on a number of things, a number of the concerns that, that the student-athletes behind uh, the uh, We Are United movement uh, Pac-12 wasn't too far away with them. In fact, they'd, they'd love to see uh, a few of those things that uh, those student-athletes uh, brought up. So I, I don't think it's a case of an organization shutting down rather than addressing you know, student-athletes' legitimate concerns, right? I mean, if, if that is the case, and I don't think it is, but if it is the case, then that's stupid and dumb and spiteful and self-destructive. And in this day and age, those things don't get you anywhere. They shouldn't anyway. The more cynical among us will say that, quote-unquote, health and safety aren't the biggest reasons for the shutdown. After all, if student-athletes are on campus and competing while the campus is closed to on-campus learning, like it appears more than a handful of Pac-12 campuses are scheduled to be this fall, then those kids aren't just students, are they? They're not just student-athletes, are they? And if you put them in a bubble, they'll get benefits that flaunt the amateurism rules that the NCAA takes so seriously. No more surefire way to get the NCAA hound dog sicked upon you than to try to flaunt or circumvent their rules celebrating the spirit of amateurism. We, we know that. We've seen that time and time again over the last few decades. Can't have that now, can we? It just opens up some cans of worms that the Pac-12 and the NCAA would rather not open. Plus, let's face it, not all of the schools have the same resources and ability to pull off a bubble. 
I, I appreciated Jim Harbaugh's manifesto that he put out earlier in the week about saying, look, things are great here at Michigan. We've done great things. You know, we, we've kept COVID-19 at bay. Look, I'm glad that they've had success keeping the Rona away. Good for them. But not every school has Michigan's resources. I'm pretty sure that it's a, it's a different story. Maybe at, even at some other schools in the Big Ten. Certainly if you get, what, Eastern or Western Kentucky or something like that coming up, are they going to have the exact same standards and resources to be able to pull off those standards than Michigan? Probably not. Probably not. Plus, Michigan had all of that success before the entire campus came back for classes. It's a whole new ball game when all the kids are on campus. That adds a whole different set of variables to this entire thing. Some of the cynical among us would also point out liability concerns. That the biggest reason why we're seeing all of this isn't necessarily in the name of the health and safety of the students, but more so in the name of liability. And what happens if a student athlete gets sick or worse on the Pac-12's watch? That was put forth to Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson as far as liability and how big of a part that played in this. Here was his response. Our responsibilities are not about liabilities. Our responsibility is about uh, accountability uh, to these student athletes and their families uh, short and long term. Uh, so we can't waive uh, our duties and obligation to protect them driven by the science and the medicine. Uh, we're not driven by lawyers who say, well, we'll relieve you of liability. Uh, that's not what floats the boat in this conference. So we have responsibilities and accountability. And so the science and the medicine says we cannot allow you to go forward right now. So we won't. That's where we are. So the liability thing, other folks can talk about that. We're about accountability and responsibility to our student athletes. That's Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson. And, and look, very well said, very well said. And I, I love the sentiment. And I'd like to believe that accountability was 100% the complete motivation behind all of this. That being said, you can't tell me that somewhere along the line, lawyers weren't consulted. And that somewhere along the line, someone wasn't crunching the numbers and saying, hey, Here's what's going to cost us if we play on and a student athlete dies from this. That had to be at least some part of the calculus here. Large part, maybe not. Small part, had to be. Had to be. What this means for Stanford, who knows? Who knows? Football-wise, the first thing I think of is, is how this affects Walker Little, Paul Snadebo, in particular, guys that were having a serious eye of going in the first round of the NFL draft this upcoming spring. Not to mention a few other NFL draft hopefuls as well. Foster Sorrell comes to mind. Um, Davis Mills uh, certainly had um, the chance to raise his draft stock with a fantastic season this year. Do those guys play? I don't know. I don't know if football is moved 
to winter slash spring? I don't know. I wouldn't fault them for sitting out. I wouldn't fault them for saying, you know what? I'm just going to start training for the NFL now and just save it for save it for next year and go from there. I would not blame them one bit, especially Walker Little and Paul Snadipo. Wouldn't blame them. So that's the first thing I think of when I think of the potential ramifications of this decision for Stanford football. It, it, could, it could very well alter the makeup of this team and the squad that we thought and that we were getting excited about, about being able to see this fall. By the way, I reached out to David Shaw and to Stanford Athletic Director Bernard Muir. I am hopeful for reaction from Muir later this week. Hopeful for David Shaw next week. Also reached out to Stanford President Mark Tessier-Levine for his thoughts. I was told he was unavailable, but he has a standing invitation on this show to join anytime. So what it means for Stanford right now, it remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. Some questions I've seen people say, or ask rather, on Twitter that, that I want to address. And there are, <laughs> there are some doozies. Twitter's an amazing website. Um, I saw former NFL player Chris Spielman say, look, Knowing what I know now, even with the risks of CTE, I still would do the exact same thing all over again. I would play. You know, you're still out there blocking and tackling, right? You know, it's, it's, it's the same risk as, as, as COVID-19, right? So what's, what's the difference? What's the difference? Why are people just, just shying away from COVID-19, especially those playing in a sport as unsafe as football is? I saw that from Chris Spielman, among other folks. Look, blocking and tackling people is not the same as a deadly contagious disease. Is playing football unsafe? Of course it is. Of course it is. I'll never forget what David Shaw told me a few years ago at a Stanford football pro day. He said, and this is a direct quote, you have to bypass a lot of human instinct to play the game of football, right? There's a lot of self-preservation that should tell you not to play. End of quote from David Shaw at the 2015 Stanford Football Pro Day. He told me that. I'll, I'll, I'll remember that for the longest time. Football is unsafe at any speed. That's just the fact of it. But the risk of playing football is pretty much only unique to the football field. I'm not going to catch CTE in the seafood aisle at the grocery store. I'm not going to get concussed while I'm going for takeout. I can get the Rona in both of those situations if I'm not careful. So that's the difference. That's the difference. Blocking and tackling people is not the same as a deadly contagious disease. That's the difference. Another thing I've seen, another question I've seen. If you're going to let them practice, then why can't they play? What's the difference? Well, the difference is that you're practicing only against other people who have been in the same environment you've been in and amongst people who are observing the same testing standards that you are. 
It's your own bubble, so to speak, when you're practicing against your own teammates. When you're playing a game, when you're playing a competition, you're playing against a team from a completely foreign environment where the public health situation may be very, very different, for better or for worse. It's part of the reason why the Pac-12 went conference only, right? You know, TCU was supposed to get on a plane and come out here to Cal to play football. That was supposed to be Cal football's opener this September, hosting the Horned Frogs over in Berkeley. Based on what you know about how California has approached this virus and how Texas has approached this virus, do you really think for a second that that would have been a good idea? So that's what the difference is. That's the big difference between practicing and playing. When you're practicing, it's just against people you know. When you're playing, you don't know who, what, what, what the other team's dealing with. You don't. It just unnecessarily increases the variables and the unknowns in a variable and unknown world to begin with. The other question that, that I saw mostly on Monday and Tuesday and this was in direct response to the hashtag we want to play movement. Well, the student-athletes want to play. Why don't we just let them? And my answer to that was this. It's not about wanting to play, right? Pac-12 wants these kids to play for various reasons. Players want to play for obvious reasons. Coaches want to coach. I want them to play too, right? I, I would love nothing more for there to be a fall sports season. As mentioned, I lost a lot of money on Tuesday. I also had a lot of cool non-Pac-12 opportunities that I was looking forward to being a part of this college football season. That's pretty much out the window right now. I don't think there's anyone out there who doesn't want these kids to play. It's just not safe to do so. It's just not safe to do so. I want a lot of things. I want schools to be open. I want to leave my house. I want to get on a plane with my wife and travel somewhere. And we can go out to dinner, some, some really nice spot. There's a lot of things I want to do. Can't do it right now because we, we don't have a handle on this thing. We don't have a handle on this thing, and by and large, we're missing a lot of the infrastructure that we need to get a handle on this thing. So until those things happen, what we want doesn't mean squat. As for the other conferences, I'm reminded of something Larry Scott told us back on July 31st while he was announcing the uh, Pac-12 conference-only slate. When he was asked what happened to the Power 5 conference solidarity, remember that back in the spring? Everyone stumbled over themselves, all the commissioners, Larry Scott, Kevin Warren in the Big Ten, Greg Sankey in the ACC, or in the SEC, rather, and, and everyone else, Bob Bowlesby in the Big 12, everyone was, was breaking each other's necks to say, hey, we're going to make all the decisions we need to make as one. Well, Larry Scott was asked what happened to 
Power Five Conference solidarity? And why the Pac-12 followed the Big Ten in going conference only? Let's, let's, let's revisit uh, that soundbite. We're all making our own decisions, but I think you're seeing um, kind of everyone uh, arriving at a similar place. So what does that have to do with this situation? What does that soundbite from July 31st have to do with this? Well, because I suspect that the same thing may eventually be true here too. Conferences are indeed making their own decisions. But because we're on the virus's timeline here, I have a feeling that all of the other conferences may eventually and unfortunately arrive in the same place too, one way or the other. Final quote from Tuesday's teleconference that struck me, and it came from University of Oregon President Michael Schill, who is the head of the Pac-12's CEO group, the universities and chancellors, uh, the, the presidents rather, and chancellors of the uh, Pac-12 universities. And Schill noted that not only the vote to cancel was unanimous, but take a listen to why Schill said it was unanimous. The decision was unanimous, and, and that's not unanimous, meaning that people were against it and then just joined in because they wanted to be good soldiers. It was unanimous because we all recognized this was the morally correct thing to do. And we did it. It's University of Oregon President Michael Schill. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I, I cringe a little bit when, when I hear people using morals and being morally correct to justify their actions, mostly because history is filled with people do, doing immoral things in the name of morality. But I, I, I hear what he's saying here in, in this case. And, and it, I, I get it. I get it. Because uh, I, I felt more uneasy about things as we went along here about having student athletes competing in this kind of environment and in these types of in these types of unsafe situations and i certainly felt a lot more uneasy about it after around mid-june when cases started going through the roof as the gap between where we could have and should have been with this virus and where we actually were with it became larger and larger, I had more and more reservations about playing this fall. And again, I got a personal stake in this. Given the hoops that everyone was going to have to jump through to play, on top of the normal hoops that student-athletes have to go through to compete, look, they, they don't just show up at the ball field on game day, right? It's not just, it's not just about practice and competition. There is... So much more. And I admire the student athletes, particularly the ones at Stanford and especially the ones who do it the right way, who balance their time commitments to their sport with their academic commitments as well. It's not easy. It's not easy. In some cases, it, it's darn near impossible. But given all the extra things that these kids were going to have to go through to play, it just didn't seem right. It just didn't seem right. The, the payoff just didn't seem worth the risk. I was having more and more trouble reconciling that in my mind as we went along. Now, we know more about this virus. That's the good news. 
and we're learning more about it, but there's still way too much that we just don't know. And many of the things that we are learning, especially about the, the long-term effects, they're not good. They're not good. And oh, by the way, we're still begging people to wear masks. I'm saying mask it or casket at the end of every show. That won't change, by the way. There's still way too many people not taking this thing seriously. And unfortunately, many of them are in leadership positions. So put all that together and here we are. Here we are. And a lot of emotions right now. I'm sad for the student athletes and the coaches and the, and the staff members up and down the conference who worked so hard just to get to this point to have the rug pulled out from underneath them. I am quite honestly angry at the folks who didn't do enough, who didn't take this seriously and have kept us in a spot where we're still fighting this and battling this on a level that really no one else on our level in a country on this planet is anymore. Just about everyone else has surpassed us and left us behind in this. You're seeing crowds at sports in New Zealand and Italy and throughout Europe and Asia. Why are we behind? I think you know some of the answers there. But most of all, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I, I did my part. I did my part. And I'll continue to do so. And, and I'd like to think that every last one of you listening to this did your part too. But not enough people did. So here we are. Right back to where we started from five months ago. You got thoughts? You want to respond? I, I always welcome uh, what you have to say on this. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast is the way to go. Of course, via Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. The last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. Future for the TreeCast right now? I don't know. <laughs> I'm shrugging my shoulders right now. I, I would imagine that we have a couple more episodes later on this month. Um, I, I expect to go next week and perhaps the week after that. After that, who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll sort it out as, as we go along. That, that kind of seems to be the status quo for everyone right now because of this. In the meantime, you do what you can. You keep doing your part. And hopefully we're all in a position where everyone gets the green light and everyone gets a chance to, to start doing what they love again, truly, by the time January 1st rolls around. Quick shout out and a chin up to my man, Mike Yam, friend of the TreeCast and an all-around good dude. Thank you, brother, and um, best of luck to you going forward. We'll talk to you next time. Uh, don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Every bit as dumb as the person who refuses to wear a mask, mask it or casket. We'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us. And uh, hang in there and stay healthy. It's the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.